0: We're all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this.
1: All right, hello everyone. I get to start us off this week and I'm very excited. Um, so truly, so as you both know, this month I am doing uh, a variety of rainbow things. Uh, as a theme, yep. um, just because it's Pride Month, and I want to, so there's so there's truly so many colorful things to choose from. It was starting to get like a little overwhelming to choose and figure out what what to pick. Um, sure. But I came across this one, and I just <coughs> it's from one of my favorite zones. So I, I I and it's a place that just keeps on giving. Zones. Yeah. Oh boy. So I, I had right. to go for it. <laughs> it's in the ocean.
0: Oh, of course it is. <laughs> one or the other. Right? Saw that coming. <laughs> so <laughs> There may be a bit, of a, a bit of a theme this week. Oh, good.
1: I like that. We'll see. Yeah. So there's obviously a lot of colorful critters in the ocean. And this one is actually pretty small. It's only about three inches in length. But don't let it fool you. Um, okay. This fish called the mandarin fish or the mandarin goby or the mandarin dragonette are Mm. absolutely gorgeous. All right. Their bodies have this really beautiful, colorful pattern. Um, It's, they're all, I saw it described as swirly stripes. Um, it's bright, like, cobalt blue lines, there's yellow, there's teal, there's orange, they have these big bulbous eyes that are often red in color, and it's all over their bodies. Uh, they have, like, two dorsal fins on Uh uh, their back, and, like, two visible sets of fins on the anterior or bottom side of the
2: fish. Yeah. But, yeah, they're really remarkable looking, I just... Up, but they're just the pictures on my computer.
0: Yeah, I got. Wow. I was. I wasn't gonna jump in quite yet, but Rachel, I, you're doing your best to describe it, and you massively undersold the beauty know, of this fish. I know. Yeah, it's I don't know how you even describe it. It's. Uh, it's like I would say it's like a psychedelic abstract <sighs> painting. Yeah, more or less. It does remind it. me
2: of some like 1960s art. <laughs> there oh, should be 100%. some glow lights and
0: other things involved <laughs> in the viewing of this so, fish.
1: You're in a glow stick rave, right? And that's this fish,
0: more or less. Been there. Didn't see (laughs) these fish there, but I gotcha.
1: Well, and because they're so beautiful, they're actually highly sought after in the aquarium trade, which is kind of unfortunate. uh, Because they're extremely difficult and very picky. Uh, Mm -hmm. So they're really hard to actually keep as an aquarium fish, um, which is unfortunate because they can live to be about 10-ish years in the wild and in captivity about four Uh, maybe so that's kind of sad but um, so most of those fish have that blue color but what makes it super fascinating is a couple of different things it is one of only two vertebrate species to truly produce the color blue Oh, Oh, it's a,
0: it's a a blue pigment, actually. It's a blue
1: pigment, pigment.
0: Which one is the other
1: species? uh, It's actually a, it's in the same family. It is a very closely related, uh, mandarin fish. Yeah. Uh, A type of goby, I believe. Um. Which is amazing because we've kind of talked about it a little bit before, but most uh, blue colors that occur in vertebrate species, if it shows up at all, it's actually a structural coloration. That means that Mm -hmm. it's... uh, How do I describe it? The skin isn't producing that color. What's happening is the light is refracting around with um, some structures. Like there's a clear... um, veil or like scale over uh the skin cell and that's causing some blue light to be reflected instead of the Mm -hmm. right the body actually producing a blue pigment
0: the way i've sort of described it for people uh in the bird world being a giant bird nerd is there's a lot of birds that are blue like bluebirds and blue jays and i guess Mm -hmm. even like an indigo bunting but they look blue but if you were to take their feathers and just grind them up into a powder the powder would be gray. It would no longer be blue. Whereas if it actually had, if it was actually blue and had blue pigment, it would still be blue. Mm -hmm. But it's just the, yeah, it's just the structure of the feather reflecting kind of that blue iridescence.
1: Exactly. Hmm. And these fish are actually producing uh, that blue color. That's Um, so neat. It's so fun. Also, um, this fish doesn't have any scales. Okay. Really? It is a scaleless fish.
2: So like catfish cool. or there's a bunch of different yeah.
1: of eels or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, well, it's funny you bring up eels, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> because... I did a whole episode about oh, eels. Not,
0: probably not that kind of funny.
1: <laughs> Similar to eels, uh, these fish, the Mandarin fish, produce a smelly, foul-tasting mucus to cover mm. their entire body to ward off predators. Mucus. I don't know who decided and tested the fact that it tastes bad. It was <laughs> not me. I would not want to you be in that You know how this lab. goes.
0: Someone was handling them. They didn't wash their hands. They were eating lunch. Yeah. That's how someone found out. Yeah. I'm sure.
1: <laughs> Gross. <laughs> um, so that was just a really fun little tidbit for that. Um, I talked a little bit earlier about their dorsal, uh, about their yeah. fins. So they have two visible sets of fins on their bottom side of the of the fish. Um, and one set, actually, it looks like it's the pectoral fins, so the ones that would be close to, like, the hips on a human. Mm-hmm. Um, those are not actually the pectoral fins. Um, yeah, they I act think. as kind of... They act as a way for them to move around. They actually have been shown to walk along the sandy bottom of the Indo-Pacific with those fins. Like cool. physically walk and act like feet, which is weird. Hmm. Um, to get Gosh, I wonder what the advantage
0: is to that over just, you know, flipping. <laughs> or, or, right? You know, I don't know what's the term there for like using your flippers to... <laughs> Swim. swim? Flip around <laughs> swimming. Swimming? I, yeah. swimming. I yeah. Swimming. Swimming. Good. Yes. There you go. Um, I wonder what's the advantage to walking on the bottom versus swimming along the bottom. That's interesting.
1: Well, part of it, I uh, from what I've been able to research, is it actually goes into their mating strategies. So the males are larger. They're sexually dimorphic. The males are larger than the females are. Um and what's interesting, especially for fish, is they actually per- make or make, they have a mating dance that the males perform mm. for the females. So walking cool. along the bottom and flashing their fins in a fun, like very extravagant way to show off. Um, uh-huh.
2: oh, hey, if you've got it, flaunt it, right? right?
1: Exactly. So, like, they're swimming around, but they'll also walk along the bottom of the, um, the sandy floor uh to show off for the females um and obviously the male's goal is to f- mate with as many females as possible um the fem- what actually happens is after sunset what the all the females will gather and they will just watch the males dance for them and they'll decide who is the best dancer swim over hang out on top just like lay on top of them and then all of the eggs and sperm will just spawn
0: um wow, quite an evening
1: right and <laughs> it,
0: dancing flashing uh, after the sun goes down it's just it it so
1: much fun and it'll happen for it'll happen a couple days um at a time um and they'll spawn up to 200 or so eggs uh and obviously that's pretty advantageous if you want because the males want to mate with as many females as possible um it, it's if you have the best dance, you might as well keep going, right?
0: Uh, uh, yeah. Ain't no party like a Mandarin Dragonette party because a Mandarin Dragonette party don't stop?
1: Pretty much, that doesn't, yeah.
0: That doesn't flow off the tongue <laughs> easily at all. I regret uh, even saying that.
1: Not really, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I just wanted to touch on this truly beautiful fish being one of the Amazing, only yeah. fish. Look, look, that, look them up, look uh, them up. It'll be on our social media. Um you can follow us at Strange by Nature Pod. Um and it's truly and, and where is that? Oh, that's on Instagram, Which... Twitter, you Facebook. <laughs> you name it, we're there. Uh I think we have a Reddit now, don't we?
0: We do. Well, we, we, there's not a subreddit devoted to us. Uh right. but we we do have an account and you'll occasionally see us posting on there.
1: See? There you go. But yeah, I just want to talk about these truly amazing little fish that hang out in the Indo Pacific region of the planet. So, well, an extremely colorful choice.
2: Thank you, Rachel.
0: Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much.
1: Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, it'll be Victoria.
0: Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash Nature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strange by nature see you soon hey we're back
2: so i don't know about yay (laughs) (laughs) oh (laughs) sorry it's gonna be a dark topic no it's not actually don't get excited okay (laughs) um i don't know about you kirk but i felt like i got dumber after i had kids um, especially while they were still babies, my memory got noticeably worse.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Um. I can't relate. Uh, the lack of sleep probably had something to do with that.
2: Yes, probably. Um. You know, I've heard this phenomenon described as mom brain, but my husband swears it happened to him too. And you know, right. there's mm-hmm. the lack of sleep. I think there's also uh, some some thought that it's due to your shift in focus from taking care of your adult self to trying to keep a helpless infant alive and thinking about all the things mm-hmm. that you need to do to keep them safe. Um, two, in and some my of case. us were
0: not great at keeping our adult selves, uh, you know, going in the first place. Exactly. So, yeah. Right. The struggle is real.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now you have an entire
2: other human relying on you. So even though it maybe felt like my brain was shrinking, shrinking it probably was just reprioritizing. Mm-hmm. However... There are animals that have brains that literally do shrink due to having babies. What? Really? Yes. <clears throat> All right. I want you to meet sure. the Indian jumping ant. Uh, scientific name is Harpegnathos. Per-
0: Where is it? Here? We're gonna we're gonna meet it. Like, oh, are we metaphorically meeting? I don't want ants. In it? Metaphorically <laughs> meeting? Okay. I've got so many ants at work right now that. Oh. It's so bad, I know. Making maple syrup uh, Uh, encourages ants to be in your presence. Let's put it that way.
2: Sure it does. you still boiling the syrup?
0: No, no, No. but they're still around.
2: (laughs) Okay. They are still around. (laughs) I was going to be surprised at that. Um, Anyway, I was attempting to get out this ant's scientific name, which is (laughs) Harpaganathos Saltator.
0: Uh, Very nice. Well done. They live in India,
2: as you would Salt, salt, uh, salt. It's a, it lead for jumping. So, ah, okay, yeah. Um, I wish it were salty. That would be cool. They uh you they live in India. Them. In typical <laughs> ant colonies, fairly typical. There's a queen who lays all the eggs, and female workers who do you know everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in many species with a queen, ants, bees, wasps, etc., if the queen dies. The colony also will die out but uh, right. these jumping ants do it a different way uh for starters there's actually not a lot of difference physically between the queen and the workers like there's a little size difference but not a lot um there are a few other oh. things but they look much more similar than most queens and workers do
0: okay yeah All Right.
2: and the workers are not actually sterile um, they cool. they're reproductively suppressed but they're not sterile and they don't reproduce okay. while the queen is alive. But when a wow. queen dies, there is then a huge battle among some of these workers. And the ones that try to take the role of the queen are, <laughs> they're called gamergates, um, which is spelled exactly the same way as gamergate, like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> makes,
0: makes research in this topic very interesting, I bet. Yes, Oh, indeed.
2: <laughs> Uh, at any rate, several uh, gates will fight it out, and there are usually um, like a couple of successful ones who are then able to transform to become reproductive. They don't exactly become queens, but they can lay eggs, and so their bodies change a bit. Among sure, other changes, sure. you know, as you would expect, Answers their ovaries common. grow larger. Uh, what, Rachel? As you would expect. Yes, as you would expect. Their ovaries grow larger. Uh, they produce less venom. Their lifespan becomes longer. And their brains shrink. Wow. About... Horrifying.
0: They're not, they're not real big to begin with.
2: No. 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 <laughs> they're
1: like the size of a pin.
2: Yeah. They're an ant. Um, yeah. And so their brains shrink about 20 to 25%. And That's a lot. you know, scientists <laughs> think that this is so that their bodies have more resources to devote to laying eggs because brains are expensive to maintain. You know. Sure. Fair enough. Um, all of this has actually been known for a while, and it occurs in several species. But it was always thought that the brain shrinkage was irreversible. But there was this article that I saw that made me actually pick this topic for today. And scientists wanted to test this out. So they removed several successful uh, gamergates from a colony. They had okay. su- they had a couple successful gamergates in each colony. So one stayed in the colony laying eggs, and they would take the other one out and put it in an mm-hmm. isolation chamber for three to four weeks. And they did okay. this with a bunch of different colonies. And at okay. first, these ones um, that had been removed into their isolation box, they laid eggs, but they eventually stopped. And then after the three to four weeks, the experimenters returned them to the colony. They came back, but things were different. They behaved like workers, and the other ants also treated them just like another worker. And various uh, physical body measurements also returned to be similar to workers. So their ovaries returned to the normal size, they made more venom, and their brain volume reverted to normal. So wow. that's so their brains cool. regrew. They shrunk and they regrew. So are they,
0: I mean, are they actually growing new neurons? Do you Unclear. Know, just, I wow. think. this
2: well, remains to be further
0: right seen. I can see why people would mm. want to study this. this yes. Because you know,
2: wow.
1: Indeed. Indeed. I mean, so if you can regrow neurons. Like that's.
2: That's groundbreaking. That's big. Yeah. Very big. Yeah. You know, brain plasticity, as it's called, is a really important topic of research for humans, obviously. And so finding animal models um, where this is possible is really significant. So it's very really cool be research. be great if there was yeah.
0: something bigger than a uh, an ant. I'm not going to lie, that's uh, a little different <laughs> than a human.
2: Well, funny, Piercing you should bridge. ask. But... While researching this, I actually came across another type of animal that is known to shrink, shrink and regrow its brain. Uh, actually, several types of shrew. And in particular, uh, the, the research I was right. looking at was talking about the Etruscan shrew, which is, in fact, the world's smallest terrestrial mammal, because there's a bat that's it's smaller, so I guess. Um, they weigh only 1.8 grams, so that's less than oh, two oh, large oh, paper clips. Oh, oh. And smaller than your thumb. Oh, they're so tiny. They're very small. Um, And, you know, not surprisingly for such a small creature, they have an incredibly fast metabolism and they need to eat several times their body weight each day in order to stay alive. But in winter, food is less available. And so the shrew has adapted to actually shrink its brain and its skull in the winter by approximately 28%. Uh, and that'll Whoa. reduce their what? food it's... requirements. Yeah. yeah, and then
0: it regrows <laughs> I mean,
1: Yeah, but your brain is shrinking.
2: And you're well. That's a I'm more hung
0: up on the skull shrinking than the brain. Actually, like that just yeah. seems even That's weirder bone. to me. Like it's
2: yeah. Well, bone yeah. is a living tissue, so yeah, it's possible.
0: I guess I can see. Uh, I can see it getting like thinner. Yeah. I mean, bones certainly get thinner and thicker, but to actually like. If the bonus, is actually, I don't know. It's sort of hard so to
2: wrap your head around.
0: My little brain, yes.
2: <laughs> like a skull. Yeah, there's actually another true species, which I, I didn't write down which one it was, but it, it only lives for like, I don't know, a year and a half or two years. And mm. so it, it's born, I guess, in the spring, and it it's grows throughout the summer. And then its brain shrinks in the winter. And then it regrows, and then it reproduces, and then it dies. Ah. So in that case, it's both related to, to food supply and to reproduction, which is interesting.
0: Wow. That is interesting. Yeah. Huh. I keep eating and eating and eating pizza, and I don't feel like my brain's getting any bigger. <laughs> <laughs> it's not helping. My, my, my waistline is growing, but I keep on being like, no, 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 brain. Right. This is brain food. Right. You know, You're
1: fueling your brain.
0: It's got, it's got vegetables, it's got, uh, you know, fruit, it's got meat, calcium. it's got calcium, I mean, it's got everything. Yeah. It's, a, it's the world's perfect food. I just don't understand why my brain is not growing yet. But that's a mystery for another day. I, I think you need
2: to get some scientists to look into <laughs> that. Well, uh, I want to call out a couple of papers that I relied on for this topic. And the first one is called Reversible Plasticity in Brain Size, Behavior, and Physiology Characterizes Cast Transitions in a Socially Flexible Ant by Clint Penick cool. uh, and colleagues, Proceedings of the Royal Society B from April 2021. And the other one is called Seasonal Plasticity in the Adult Somatosensory Cortex by Sakat Ray uh, and others uh, in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences
0: in November 2020. Light, cool bedroom yeah. reading, and, and, and it's our that's our, our favorite journal as well. The Proceedings of the National Academy of yeah, Sciences,
2: because it's oh, available 100%. in that full.
0: <laughs> uh, no, because it's PNAS. <laughs> <laughs> We've been over this on the show, it's yeah,
2: we have. <laughs> was
0: a curious choice of a name for a journal, let's put it that way.
2: Yeah, that's right. Right, uh, <laughs> okay.
0: On that note, I'm sorry, I'm 10. <laughs> I hope I mentioned that. Uh, so
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're going to take a little break,
2: and when one. we yep. come back, yep. Kirk, we'll have something. Uh, I do indeed for us.
0: If you've uh, been listening to the show for a while, you may have noticed we tend to have avoid a certain phrase. You'll very rarely hear us talking about when something was discovered, right? Mm -hmm. Because we often have no idea when it was really discovered. All we know is when something was first described by scientists. So an early example of this in the show was the living fossil, the coelacanth, that -hmm. scientists thought was extinct. But both of the species that are now known and have been described by scientists have been known by fishermen for centuries If not, probably much longer, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So this week, I have a similar story. Uh, It involves a character I can't believe hasn't appeared on the show yet. I'm talking about Mr. Ben Franklin. Oh. huh. Okay. So in uh, 1757, he was traveling from Pennsylvania to London. And being a curious fellow, he uh, was on a, a, a boat with... Nothing in particular to do, and he so he set about just kind of making observations of everything around him, which he was you know kind of known he for. Does and a he, lot. he, yeah, he observed something curious, and it may be something actually some of our listeners have observed as well. I know it's something that I had kind of noticed and sort of been like, oh, it's kind of weird, but I didn't pursue it to the level that uh, that Ben did. Um, so what Franklin could see was that uh, many boats were moving through the water. But he noticed something strange about their wakes. Some of the boats had wakes that were quickly broken apart by waves. But other boats seemed to have or create wakes behind them that persisted for a very long time.
2: Hmm, and some of right. these were
0: not so much like wakes in the term that we think of it as um, like big waves that keep on going out. But rather like a calm area hmm. that almost makes like a trail through the water sure. behind right, the yeah. boat. I can picture and it. It's first, where
2: you...
1: yeah. That's where you want to be like water skiing and such. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I mean, like long after the boat has already passed. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and And I've seen this just boating around lakes on here where a boat will go by. And then like five minutes later, you're like, I can still see where that boat went. And I mm-hmm. can't even see the boat anymore. And it's not waves. It's a calm area on the water, which is really really weird and so he noticed this um you know some of our listeners maybe even noticed this and he was Mm -hmm. observing it back in 1757 like I said so Franklin uh being curious he asked the captain of the boat he was on or maybe he just commented on it to the captain um Mm -hmm. and the captain reportedly looked at him like he was just an idiot and was like (laughs) that is one of the stupidest questions I've ever gotten (laughs) Because the answer was totally clear to the sea captain. He he already knew the answer of what was going on. Um, the boats with no waves in their wakes were the ones where the cooks had just dumped the waste oil from the kitchen off the back of the boat. Uh, and Franklin had actually observed, like so many people before him, the bizarre calming effects of oil on water. Okay. So that's what I'm talking about this week. Um, historically, there's been many accounts of this. Uh, Franklin himself realized afterwards that he'd actually already heard of this. He had read accounts of one of our favorite guys, Pillan of the Elder, uh, oh, who, in his love him. his work, uh, Natural History. He had said, and I got a quote here. Of course, this has been translated to English. But he said, <laughs> again, everyone is aware that all seawater is calmed by oil. And so divers sprinkle oil on their face because it calms the rough element and carries light down with them. And mm. I was kind of puzzled the first time I read that line about carrying light down with them, because so I'm yeah. like, putting oil on your face is not going to make light, like you're not going to bring the light down with you. But I think you're it's not a putting it on trans- your eyeballs. Well, I did find reports too of people like basically rubbing it on their eyes. Um, Horrible. But what I think I th- think what they're actually describing is that if you can calm the surface waves, the light is going to be able to penetrate the water easier and reach down to the depths where they're, where they're diving. That makes that sense. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. But I, I think that's what he was actually referring to. Turns out there's all kinds of historic references to putting oil into water uh, to calm the sea. You know, uh, sea captains, their boat is, you know, going to capsize and they start pouring pouring jars of olive oil over the sides and the mm-hmm. the sea just sort of, you know, Magically calms. Uh, there are stories about whale blubber being purposely strapped to the side of whaling boats to try to calm the water around the boats. And also, uh, people had observed that in harbors where whaling boats um, were like moored up for the night, mm-hmm. uh, the the water in those harbors would be extremely calm because of some of the whale oil and the blubber and stuff that was in the water. Right. Uh, so, uh, isn't it's? Isn't there a ahead?
2: there's like a a phrase? To pour oil on troubled waters—it's become like a metaphor. Oh, I've
0: not actually heard of that. Yeah, interesting. Hmm.
2: So, I, it was so as yeah. we were talking. I was like trying to remember the phrase, and I finally figured it out with the help of a search engine. Um, so, it means to try to like settle a, a disagreement with calming uh-huh. words, but yep. it comes and that's from probably that. Where yeah. this
0: comes from, right? So, okay, um, it's it's very, very cool. And I mean, for whatever reason, sailors, well, I know why, but sailors were familiar with this strange ph- not phenomenon long before scientists, uh, because they're the ones out in the water <laughs> and sometimes even working with, you know, oils and things. Um, but you know, Franklin was one of the first people, uh, to really sort of try to do experiments with this that we know of and try to learn more about it. Uh, when mm-hmm. he got to, uh, England, he started, you know, going to some local lakes and just seeing what he could figure out. And he reported, is a quote here from him, "Not more than a teaspoonful produced an instant calm over a space of several yards square, wow. which spread amazingly and extended itself gradually till it reached the lee side, making all that quarter of the pond, perhaps half an acre, as smooth as a looking glass. Oh, a teaspoon, well, half an a, acre. A teaspoon." could calm the waves on half acre of a lake, which is...
2: That hurts my
0: brain. Fascinating. Um, So it takes very little oil to have this, this pretty great effect. And it works so well that there's actually something called storm oil that was mm-hmm. required to be carried on boats, uh, especially open-sided lifeboats. And uh, the lifeboats on the Titanic, for example, uh, had storm oil on them uh, because they were open-sided Boats and waves mm-hmm. coming over, crashing over the side, could easily swamp your boat. So, by putting this, uh, like a basically a container into the water that had would slowly leak a little bit of oil out, it would actually, um, I, I guess, calm down the water and ha- yes, make they had it easier that to be rescued. Yeah, I mean, look, they had some <laughs> other real bad stuff going on on that particular trip, but uh, this was something that was actually required by a lot of. Uh, governments to be carried on passenger vessels and all kinds of uh, rescue fleets. It was actually um, required by the US Coast Guard up until 1983. Whoa. Uh, so, very recently. Uh, at least I think that's very recently because I'm old. <laughs> that, that's pretty uh, recent.
2: Yeah. It's and so that two was. Two of our lifetimes.
0: Yeah. That was. Uh, <laughs> We won't say which two people. That was also, um, incidentally, the year that they changed the requirements that lifeboats had to be more enclosed and not just an open-sided mm-hmm. like dinghy, basically. So they mm-hmm. were like, well, if you if you have like a, a enclosed lifeboat, you really don't need storm oil anymore. It wasn't necessarily, as far as I can tell, from a uh, like a pollution type standpoint, because mm. people, uh, you know, aren't actually uh, using like petroleum oil. When I say oil, people often think like crude oil, and this is more like vegetable oil or fish oil or kind of whatever you could get for cheap at the time.
2: Crisco. Well, that would be solid, so maybe that wouldn't work as well.
0: I mean, they did use blubber. I mean, it probably wouldn't work as well. Yeah, it's not going to spread as well. Um, In the case of modern boats, like what I know, what I've observed on lakes and some of our listeners may have observed, people aren't dumping storm oil overboard as they're cruising around lakes, but. But uh, outboard engines actually vent exhaust underwater Mm, to make the engines quieter. And there's a small amount Hmm. of unburned oil in the exhaust. And that little tiny bit of oil in the wake of the boat is what calms it and makes that calm uh, wake, if you will, behind the boat. So, you know, I I will say, you know, on the storm oil front, uh, I did also say that, you know, they would use vegetable oil or maybe fish oil. Mm -hmm. And actually, I did see reports as well that fishermen um, used to find or maybe still do find large herring shoals because uh, herring are very like oily fish. Yeah, they are. And so when you have a large number of herring feeding in an area, it actually calms the water. And so you'll look out and you'll actually see like, you know, rough seas or whatever. And then there's this sort of calm area. And that's where the fish are shoaling up. And and that's how you know to go over there and go fishing.
2: Fascinating. Genius. Which, of course,
0: fishermen have known for probably millennia. And uh, <laughs> <coughs> this was all news to scientists. Uh,
1: it's so, so crazy to me how how many things we could learn in science if we just talked to those trades people.
0: Exactly. Yep. So how does it work? Uh, apparently... By coating the surface of the water with a very fine layer of oil, it prevents the wind from getting any grip on the surface of the water and the wind traveling over the surface and kind of pushing on that surface uh, through friction is what is causing a lot Mm -hmm. of the waves to be formed if you have like a a windy day and you get that chop out there in the water. And Mm -hmm. so essentially you're, you're by lubricating the surface of the water, the wind can't get any grip and that knocks down uh, a lot of the waves. Now, these are going to be like the waves that are caused by, you know. The wind. The small, the, yeah, the smaller kind of choppy waves. This is going to be, I don't think, like the big, huge, you know, you're not getting a giant waves. storm. Yeah, swells. I don't think it's going to say do it for that. Um, but it's a lot of the the choppiness of the water okay. is what it's going to cut down on, from what I understand. Yeah. If you're picturing okay. like the movie The Perfect Storm and these, you know, 100-foot tall waves, you go, why don't they just <laughs> throw some oil out there? I don't think that's going to cut it. There's more going <laughs> no. on there. Um, So uh, that's what I have for you this week, storm oil. It sounds strange, maybe too strange to be true, but small amounts of oil really can tame a wild sea. And it took uh, scientists a while to figure it out, but those who work on the water have known about it for thousands of years.
1: Fascinating.
0: Yeah, such an interesting topic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we went back to the sea, and the sea is quite a giver of topics for the show. So thank you, sea.
1: Thank you, the ocean.
0: And I may or may not have something from the ocean next week, too.
1: Ooh. Can't I do? <gasps> I'm so excited. Well, you have to so wait till I. next
2: week, Rachel. Uh, oh, great. Uh, oh, I don't. And in <laughs> fact, my topic Rachel. would have been like such a great companion to this topic that I'm sort of
0: disappointed <laughs> that <laughs> oh. we didn't try to record them <laughs> together. Well, we're going to leave. That's part of it. We see it. If listen, newer listeners don't know, we have mm-hmm. no idea what topics the three of us are bringing because we always want to surprise each other so sometimes I line up and it's amazing and sometimes we're like oh I, that would have been fun but it's, it's always fun to surprise each other and yeah and you guys get to be surprised every week but now you're all gonna have to wait a whole another week to find out what our topics of the ocean are <laughs> unless you're binge listening you know old episodes in which case <laughs> we'll see you in have a couple fun. minutes
2: <laughs> bye bye
1: thanks everybody bye
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.